you can open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, if you are a guest with us, we are working through the Sermon on the Mount together. We preach through sections of the Bible together, and it's wonderful in God's providence with all that's going on in our lives and in our world, we come to this uh, fairly well-known section of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. I know we had one of our Redeemer Kids machines down. We apologize if it took you a little bit longer to uh, register your kids. But here we are. Let's look at Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. And I uh, will read, and this is God's word. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, we submit our hearts and our lives to you with all that's going on in each of our individual lives that tempts us to all manner of worry and anxiety with all that's happening in our country, all that's happening in the world with a, a war, and all the possibilities and outcomes, Lord, that our, our minds tend to, to run away with, that has the potential to create worry and anxiety in our hearts. And, and Jesus, we pray that you would lead us and teach us how to be peaceful in our hearts, and why we can be peaceful in our hearts, come what may. Spirit of God, we invite you to come and do a work in our hearts. Adjust us where we need to be adjusted. Give the gift of faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I wonder what you or I or anyone in this room would give if there was something that you could give so that you could walk out those back doors today, never able to worry ever again. I wonder what you'd give if there was a button that could be pushed, if there was something we could give, because I don't have to spend any more time than this sentence to say that worry and anxiety is common to every one of us. And of course, it has the ability to plague our lives, to deplete our joy and our energy, and can become paralyzingly consuming. So how kind of it is Jesus to give us this gift, this section of instruction that he's giving to his followers. And this is the path that I'd like to take through our text 
this morning. I'd like to explore anxiety itself. I'd like to look at the existence of worry and anxiety. And then I would like to look at the anatomy of worry and anxiety. And then we'll look at the sin of worry and anxiety. And then, of course, the remedy for worry and anxiety. So let's start with the existence of worry and anxiety. And the word that Jesus uses for anxious or anxiety is a word that collects the ideas not just of concern, but undue concern, distracting, debilitating concern. I think we have all felt the distress and unease of worry and anxiety in our lives. How many of you worried about something this week? And I'll raise my hand first, right? It's, it's what we know. We know that feeling inside, but, but we especially know that worry anxiety is a thing for us when we realize Jesus says don't because we do, right? Jesus says don't because he knows that we do. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is powerfully teaching and addressing his followers. And think about it, Jesus doesn't address everything that he could possibly address in the Sermon on the Mount. And even if these paragraphs are categories that he spoke much longer about, these are the high points. These are the things that Jesus is directly instructing his followers to be aware of. And he knows that we are a worrying people. Jesus cares about this potentially consuming area of our hearts and of our lives. And Jesus wants us to live free from the distracting distress that comes to our souls when we face unknown possibilities or outcomes. So worry and anxiety exist, but I think we should probably take a a couple of minutes to identify what Jesus is not talking about because I don't think that Jesus is talking about forethought or imagination or preparation. Jesus doesn't teach us to never think about or prepare for the future. Sometimes the last sentence in this chapter, yeah, in this chapter seems to read that way. Don't worry about tomorrow, right, because tomorrow will have enough troubles of its own. You know, it, it kind of leads you to think, well, are we then not to think about tomorrow, not to prepare for tomorrow? And we know that that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, all over the wisdom literature, we are commended when we see danger ahead and avoid it, when we prepare, go to the ant who stores up food. So that's not what Jesus is talking about. And I also don't believe that Jesus is talking about anxiety as a form of suffering, meaning anxiety disorders that spring from mental health issues. A number of years ago, I experienced what I believe was a full-blown nervous breakdown. After 40 years of a very outgoing and positive and super optimistic and rarely nervous and always cup more than half fill kind of a life, something broke. Something broke inside of me, and I plummeted into six months of nonstop horrifying and hellish and almost paralyzing panic and anxiety. And then for three years, panic and anxiety would become a part of suffering or a thorn in my flesh that represented a massive battle for daily faith and dependence on God in my life. Now, there were times when verses like this scripture In Matthew 6, don't be anxious about your life. Or in Philippians 4, be anxious 
for nothing. There are times that that, that applied at spots. But the issue is not run-of-the-mill worry and anxiety when you can't control your thoughts or something physiological is happening. I think there's a great deal of care that we need to take in identifying the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit regarding our temptations to daily worry, meaning Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, and then the, the kind of worry and anxiety that seems to sit in the Psalms in terms of how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? It's a kind of suffering question when God allows a kind of suffering to enter our lives, but then promises to faithfully lead us through to the other side. I think Jesus is talking about run-of-the-mill, daily temptations to worry about our lives and the anxiety that is produced when we think about provision for things we need. Right. So let's dig a little bit deeper at this second thing. We know anxiety exists in our hearts. Jesus says, don't because we do. But, but when you think about the anatomy of worry and anxiety, what I'm talking about is where does anxiety come from? If we pull it apart, what are the conditions that are necessary for the kind of anxiety that Jesus is addressing? Let me read our text again uh, and, and see if we can... See if we can find it. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's the command. And what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil or spin. I tell you, even Solomon, his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe us, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? So I think when you you kind of pull some of that apart, I think that you find that that at least one of two factors needs to happen for anxiety to live or to thrive. I think the first thing is the unknown, right? Just purely the unknown. And the second thing is when something is out of your control. And then when you put both of those together, the unknown and something out of your control, then anxiety is, is, is ripe to thrive in that kind environment. I, say, I see these Because the anxiety that Jesus is addressing has the question, are my necessities going to be provided for? That's what Jesus is getting at. Is what I believe I need going to happen? He talks about the necessities of life. Jesus, of course, isn't talking about luxuries. He's talking about food and drink and clothing, the things that we we need. In other words, he's talking about the unknown. That's a question about the unknown. Is what I need going to, going to happen, going to be provided for me? And the unknown is part of the DNA of the future. In other words, all of our tomorrows come pregnant with the unknown, don't they? At the core of tomorrow is the unknown. If Mr. Tomorrow had another name, it would be Mr. Unknown. Because no one can know what tomorrow holds, because we're human. We simply 
can't, but it's not just that the unknown triggers possible anxiety. The deeper issue that Jesus is getting at is our dependence, isn't he? With his, his, his questions of us, his cross-examining of our souls, he's, he's getting at the deeper issue of our dependence on him as he asks these questions. The deeper question is, who will provide for the things that I need. In other words, who is ultimately in control? I wonder if you raised your hand just a moment ago. What was it that you worried about? Or if you just do the thought experiment now, what do you tend to worry about? What do you tend to be anxious about in your life? Is it worry about finances? And where money will come from is it worry about your kids? And can't worry about your kids just explode into like a hundred different directions, right? It's just it's like pick one. On any given day, we worry about our kids and their future. Is it worry about a, a car running or your roof lasting? Is it worry about public speaking, getting through it, or passing an evaluation that's coming up, or an exam that's coming up? Is it anxiety when you wonder whether someone will love you and marry you someday, or whether you'll be able to have children? Do you worry about your safety or your health, war that's raging? Who doesn't connect the dots to what that might mean? for the entire world if things go a certain way? Is it worry about your health? Or is it worry about the safety and health of someone you love? Maybe you don't worry about yourself, but you worry about everybody else around you. Maybe you're anxious not, not just about dying, but maybe you're anxious about how you will die. See, isn't it interesting how, how the unknown and out of control conspire to produce worry and anxiety in our hearts. Because in all of those things, we have to admit, we just don't know. And we have to admit how little, if no, control we have over the outcomes that we hope for. So it's in those two things, when you pull apart and, and dissect and look at the anatomy of worry and anxiety. I wonder if the next time you feel worry creeping up in your heart, just, just pause to consider what is it that's unknown that's causing you to worry and what is it that's out of your control and see if it's true. And it's, I think, important to identify these root causes because when we come to this third section, it helps us to identify then the true sin of sinful anxiety and worry. Right? Because if and follow this, if anxiety is the fruit of a frustrated desire or demand to know all possibilities and outcomes, or the frustrated desire or demand to be in control and have power to affect your desired outcome, then anxiety is the fruit of a sinful desire to be God. Isn't it? Who do you think you are? God? Is a question that can be pointed to our souls every time anxiety, sinful anxiety, creeps up in our hearts. 
You and I are not God. Only God knows all things and all possible outcomes and everything, past, present, and future, in one single moment. God is omniscient. And only God is all-powerful to affect the outcomes according to his perfect will. You and I, brothers and sisters, are not God. We just aren't. And yet, ever since the fall, we want to be. Wasn't that built into the temptation to sin and the origin of humanity? Do you remember when you eat of the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what will happen? Did Satan say? You will be like God. This is your opportunity. And ever since, we want to be God in our lives. Instead of relying on God and trusting God, we want to be God. We want to be in control. And that evil instinct to replace God with ourselves is what lies behind sinful anxiety and sinful worry. Look, if the oil light in your car comes on, your engine is telling you that it needs oil, right? If anxiety rises up in your heart, it is the oil light of your heart telling you that you want to be or are trying to be God. But we are not. Which now leads us to number four and gives us a chance to spend the rest of our time unpacking Jesus' remedy for anxiety. We know the existence of worry and anxiety all too well in our lives. We know that it comes from from these these dual competing desire for control and something that is unknown. And, And we can see, therefore, the sinfulness of this. Isn't it interesting that in the first half of chapter six, Jesus addresses hypocrisy? And in the second half of of chapter 6, Jesus addresses anxiety and worry. And both of them have the same thing at the core. Taking your eyes off God and putting them on yourself. No longer doing acts of worship for the eyes and notice of God alone, but for trumpeting yourself. And then, in a different kind of way, taking your eyes off God your Father and placing your resources and hope on yourself. You see, in all of this, it all works together. Jesus is is encouraging us, you remember, to that that clear-eyed focus on the lighthouse that he is, that draws us to it. Can't serve two masters, only one. Therefore, this whole thing starts. Don't be anxious about your life. So what does Jesus tell us to do? What is the remedy for anxiety? And I wonder if if you think about the opposite, if you think about peace, which is the opposite of anxiety. If you think about peace and a quiet soul and a, a still soul within you, like the psalmist says, like a, like a weaned child on my mother is my soul within me. Doesn't that sound so attractive? Could you imagine encountering the things in your life that tend to produce worry and instead of that not in the stomach, anxious, beginning to sweat feeling that's so terrible and distressing. Could you imagine the peace of God that transcends all understanding, guarding your heart and mind? The question that I have is, how do you get that? How do you grow your heart in such a way that when faced with the unknown and out of control, peace The peace of Christ, the Prince of Peace giving you, my peace I give you, Jesus said. 
How can we get that? Well, I think what Jesus is going to teach us is that true peace never comes from striving, knowing, or controlling. True peace only comes through trusting. It only comes through trusting. You will never experience true peace the more you strive, the more you think that if you know, or the more that you think that if you can control, you'll be peaceful. It doesn't happen. True peace, according to the Prince of Peace, only comes through trusting. In other words, Jesus wants us to live free from all anxiety, which only comes through full trust in our Father and who he is and what he does. That's what Jesus is saying. And the thing I love about this invitation to trust God in all of life and for all things is it's not a blind trust. It's not a mindless trust. Jesus calls us to think. He calls us to consider. He uses logical argumentation. He uses rationality. He encourages us to, to consider, to think. He, we see this in this, this greater to the lesser argument that he makes, and then this lesser to the greater argument that he makes when Jesus says don't be anxious about your life and then he says isn't life more than just food and isn't the body more than just clothing he's making a greater to the lesser argument in other words what he's saying is isn't the harder thing to create life in the first place and isn't the harder thing creating a body in the first place and if you are going to go through all of the trouble to create a working human body and then give life to it, doesn't it make all the sense in the world that you're not going to come to that point and say, oh no, I forgot about feeding and clothing this thing. Right? It's inconceivable. And Jesus is saying, like, look, the harder thing by far is making a body and giving it life. Who do you think God is? To, to do all of that and then not provide the sustenance needed for said body. Or go to the other side and the lesser to the greater. And again, think. When you're worried, think. Consider. Not blind trust. Yes, don't be anxious. We do want to trust. We don't want to be those of little faith. But that faith is going to rise as you consider. Think about it. Think about, consider the birds of the air. Seriously, think about birds right now. Everybody think about birds, right? And not just think about birds, but what are we supposed to think about birds? Birds. Well, they, they simply live their lives. They don't, they don't worry. They don't amass storehouses full of food. And yet our heavenly father feeds them, right? So think, consider, how does our heavenly father feed them? Well, he feeds them through, through all of the mechanisms by which he works on our world all the time. God is sovereign and providentially providing for every aspect of his creation. He's not a clockmaker who wound it up and is distant from it. God works providentially in the world to accomplish his primary will, his primary causes through secondary causes. So God wills all things and then allows them to work through the secondary means that he's created. He just said to us in the Sermon on the Mount that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? So why does it rain? How does it rain? Well, one answer is that God causes it to rain, right? How else does it rain? 
clouds, evaporation, I don't know, water goes up, dust, molecules, condensation, collects, gathers. Well, yes, you guys know better than I, you've, you've been through middle school science. God causes all of the secondary processes to accomplish his will, right? So the rain falls on the corn in Iowa, and the army of farmers reap the corn and send it in trucks and trains built by humans to a factory where the corn gets mashed together with other things, right? And then it gets fried, and then it gets shaped into these little caveman mini club looking things, right? And then they send that through and this powdered cheese gets sprinkled on top of it. And that, by the way, starts with cows, but that's a whole different story. We're not going to talk about that. But then they, they bag these things and then send them again on trucks and in trains. And in the providence of God, it lands at a Kroger store in Hampton Roads. And you happen to get that specific bag, but it sits in your cupboard until this Thursday when it's going to be 72 degrees and you take your kids and your bag of Cheetos to the beach and you succumb to the squawking of the seagull that's sitting there and as you throw a Cheeto to that seagull, God our Father fed that bird. Right? I'm telling you, I'm not wrong. And if God feeds the birds of the air, how much more is he going to cause all of the processes of this life to feed you and care for you? Right? Think, brothers and sisters. Think. You say, well, wait a minute. I earn my money that provides for the food that I put on our table. And that is true. You and I do work hard and we do seek to provide. But who directed the work to you in the first place? What were all of the processes directed by God that you'll never see that resulted in the customer in front of you that will provide the sale or whatever it will be that results in money in your paycheck? Look, hair is growing right now today that the barber or hairdresser will cut or style. Sugar is rotting teeth today that the dentist will gladly drill into soon enough. Somewhere a bumper was just sideswiped, and that will make its way to a paint or dent tech from our church in the days to come. Somewhere a teenager is reading Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson and will be interested in and will register at Regent Law School years from now. And that registration will accomplish provision for so many different people. Do you see? Behind every dollar you earn are thousands of processes God and his providence has directed to feeding and clothing you, the one he loves. If he feeds the birds, if he clothes the flowers, flowers that they sprout up and get trampled and yet they're more beautiful than Solomon could have ever imagined will he not care for you we should certainly get this who here who here has a dog or cat birds chickens goats 
I imagine you feed those animals, don't you? I mean, who, who, would, who doesn't? Like, that is so bad <laughs> if you don't feed that animal, right? Or, or think about this. If you went out in the snow when it snowed recently and fed your chickens, how much more does God, your Father, care for you and, and is committed <laughs> They're chickens. Dogs are cats. And there's a certain degree with family pets that a deep love develops for that animal. You're caring for it because you really love that animal. How much more does your heavenly father in all of his infinite love love you? And if he's created you, or think about it this way. It just doesn't make any logical or rational sense that a husband and a wife would save $30,000, $30,000 or more, and fly to Burma to pick up and adopt a girl and save her from horror and fly her back and bring her home and then say, oh no, we never thought about food and clothing for this little girl. It just doesn't make any sense. Therefore, if God did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him? If that's the way harder thing to do, is to send his son as a human into this world to die on a cross to save us and forgive our sins and reconcile us, the suffering that Christ endured to get you and to save you, and to make you a child of God, how much, if that's what he's done, how in the world are we to think he will not graciously give us all things that we need for life and for godliness in Christ Jesus? This is what is true of every child of God. There is never one second of your life that God isn't committed to providing for and caring for you. There's never one second of your life that God isn't sovereignly ordering and ordaining or allowing all things for your good according to his perfect plan. When you think about all that is unknown and when you think about all that is out of your control, think about this. There is nothing that will ever happen in your life that God isn't ordaining or allowing. And one day we'll reveal it to you even how the sadness and the suffering was used by him for your good. This is who your heavenly father is. It's because of how much he loves you. I wonder if you can see how the call here, it's, it's not simply stop it. Everybody who's anxious, just, just stop. Stop it. That's not the call that Jesus is issuing. It's a call to think. It's a call to consider who it is that has said, I have made you, and I have given you life, and I have saved you, and I am providentially in control of every moment of your life, working all things together for your good. That's why you don't need to be anxious about anything. That's why. The invitation is to trust. 
your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. He knows. Your heavenly Father sees your children and is writing their story. You are, if you haven't figured this out yet, you are not in control of your children. You're not. But your heavenly Father is in control of everything. He sees your financial situation. He sees what he has allowed in your life that were were tragic decisions that have landed you here. He sees every moment of your life, past, present, and future. And because you're his child, has promised to sovereignly ordain all of it to work together for good. You know what's interesting? I stopped counting. I don't even know. Um, A couple of years ago, I hit 80 weddings that I have officiated in my time over the last 25 years as a pastor. And a lot of that is because I started in in singles ministry and and young adults and then youth ministry. So those guys would all get engaged and get married. And it just has been this train of weddings. And it's it's such a fun thing. I feel like it's the best seat in the house. But what's so interesting to me is to have had relationships with a lot of these, these young people and to have watched their journey. There's something that strikes my heart as a pastor when I see those back doors open uh, and the father begins to walk the bride down to this, uh, this, this man. Certainly he sees something completely different than what I'm thinking about, of course, but I'm thinking in this moment... Every second of anxiety and worry that this couple has experienced about marriage and if it would ever happen was simply a waste of time. It's understandable because we're human. But now that we stand here, the the moment that God ordained for this to happen in his perfect timing, there's a lot of things that that means. But one one of the things that it means that that no matter all of the, the... The tears stream down your face. The horrible breakups that you thought were never able to recover from. The the hope deferred because he was interested in somebody else and now they're happily married or whatever. The anxiety and worry of always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, whatever it is. In that moment... The anxiety was a waste of time. Because God could have said at at every point, oh, you don't understand. September 19th, 2024 is on its way. Right? It's understandable. Our Father cares for us. He he draws near to the brokenhearted and the crushed spirit, of course. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be another wedding someday. The wedding supper of the Lamb, when we will see the one who is is waiting for us to arrive into glory. And in that moment, similarly, when we look back and see all the ways that God provided for us and used even what the enemy meant for evil, for our good, and all of these ways where he drew us to this place where we'll be forever and ever and ever, then the whole idea of us being anxious and worrying about our lives will be understandable because we're human, but we'll have all been a waste of time.
right? Jesus himself provides the application in this text, doesn't he? He's the one that says, look, anxiety, therefore, it doesn't add a moment to your life, nor does anxiety ever contribute to the solution of any problems. Does, does anxiety ever solve the problem? It just never does. In the end, in light of God's perfect sovereignty and promise of providential care over every square inch and every moment of your life, anxiety is just a waste of time. Secondly, we're not to live as if survival were all that were important to us. As if food and clothing and drink, which are necessities, are, are all that there was. Look, if you, if you are like the Gentiles, what that means, the pagans, they don't have any sense of, of a God-centered worldview. All of life is just survival, and those are the things that you need to survive. But a Christian believes that that's not all of life. All of life is not survival. Even the thing that, that providence uses for our very demise and death is only a servant to bring us to glory. So therefore, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. And his righteousness, place God and who he is at the center of your passion and life and trust, his kingdom and his ways and his character and his righteousness and his trustworthiness. Seek this first, and then you will find all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Seek first the kingdom. Also, don't waste today's resources worrying about tomorrow's unknowns. We receive grace and strength for today. Isn't that what Jesus says at the end? Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough troubles of its own, meaning all of God's resources for you, all of his power, all of his grace, just like manna of old, it's good for today. It's good for today. So don't use today's resources on tomorrow. We don't have grace for what's going to happen this week in the, in the world. We don't have grace for that today. But as your days show your strength will be as a promise from God. So when it happens this week, on that day we will. And then when all of God's power and provision is, is used up, the resources that he gives us for today, then guess what? We wake up tomorrow to new mercies, to new resources. Look, worry and anxiety, one, one of the things that I, I had a friend tell me that, that it's so true that we tend to, when we worry and are anxious, especially about the future, we tend to project into the future the worst case scenario, don't we? And then we tend to project the worst case scenario in a godless environment. So not only are we guessing, and why is it? Like, why don't we just pick the best case scenario? Because <laughs> it's possible. Nobody knows. But we don't. We tend, to, we tend to create the worst case scenario with your kids, with your money, with your health, with your whatever it is. Worst case scenario. And then when you think about that, God is nowhere present. Not God's power to sustain you, even if that were to happen. God's power to strengthen you. God's grace sufficient for you for every moment. We just don't tend to think that way, do we? And so we, we worry, well, well, Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't use today's resources from God and project them into the future. And then, of course, finally, 
I think the opportunity that Jesus gives to us is to repent of our anxiety and faithlessness and choose to trust, choose to train our hearts. To trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To trust in the Lord with all your heart. Brothers and sisters, in my life as a Christian, that to me is the hardest command in the Bible to obey. Because of how we're wired, because of the fall, because of all of the above. Trusting in the Lord is a very difficult thing to do, and yet it's this gracious invitation from Jesus to pack that trust with thought about who your father is and what he promises. And when you lean on him, maybe you walk down a path and say, Father, I'm walking down a road that I have no idea what is coming or what you are doing. But I know that you are sovereign and perfectly working everything and every moment in my life for good. And you are my father and you love me. So help me to trust in you. What a great prayer. And that prayer will focus your eyes on someone greater than your problems. Lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Lift your eyes above the hills and see the glory and power of your heavenly Father and learn to trust. Amen? That's what Jesus is inviting us to. Let's pray and worship team, you can join me. Lord, we do thank you for not just your word in general, which feeds us and nourishes us and is powerful to change us. But Lord, we thank you for this text today. Lord, we believe in, in the working of your will through your providence. And all the Sundays that has come before, this is, this is where we land today. And all that's going on in my, my friends' lives all the temptations to be anxious, not to mention what is going on in, in the world and, and who knows what, what news will, will arrive home to today after church or after lunch. Where we all have futures ahead of us and we all have good hopes for our futures. But Lord, we know that you don't want us to be anxious, that you want us to live our lives free, that you want to give us the peace that you offer us, the peace that passes all understanding, that guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray that that, that that would happen. Holy Spirit, come right now and fill us and and. and Tune our hearts to look to you and not to ourselves, to look to your resources and not our own. And Lord, and to, to trust. Lord, for my friends here that are suffering right now, that can't make sense of tremendous difficulty in their lives, that can become consuming circumstances, situations, 
Lord, I pray that you would be greater in our eyes than the things that, that we face in this life. So, Lord, we look to you now. We trust you. We worship you. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts as we close. In Jesus' name, amen.